Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. And I'm Ken Walls. I'm your host. And I have a really, I, I just met this guy and I like him already. You guys are going to love this dude. Rob Cornelis is joining us. Be right back. Stay with us. And we're back. I want to bring Rob Cornelis on. Rob, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ken. Good morning. It's great to be with you and can't wait for the conversation. Ditto, man. I'm I'm so glad you didn't leave while you were backstage in the green room area. Did you enjoy our hors d'oeuvres and stuff back there? Yeah, everyone's so helpful back here. You know, I got my own parking spot and uh room. This is awesome. <laughs> So, so Rob, I, I told you I started this show to help people get unstuck in in life, and um, that so that's what this is about. And and you know we're going to talk about your life story, and I'd like to start with where you were born and raised. So, has everyone do they, do people typically start with a log cabin and that type of thing, or should I just sometimes? <laughs> well, for me, it's uh, a little further from where you are and even from where I sit today. I was born in Portland, Oregon. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, Portland, Oregon. I was a West Coast boy uh, uh, until about four years ago when my family and my business relocated to Salt Lake City. But yeah, Portland, Oregon is where it, uh, it started for me, where I got my formative years and uh, learned a lot of things that hopefully uh, informed my thinking and and the approach that I use in, in sales as a sales coach now. Wow. Portland's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on out there right now, I hear. I haven't, you know, I keep hearing about this. I, I don't watch TV. I don't, I just, I, if I watch anything, it'll be something for an hour on Netflix maybe, but um, I don't watch the news ever. So I don't, I'm just like, as a matter of fact, I didn't even know we were having a shutdown until the shutdown occurred. I'm like, we're having a what? Well, Why? Ken, that's because you're always shut down, man. <laughs> I know. I'm like, what? what in the world? So, so you 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 went to school and and all of that out in in Portland. Did you go to college? Uh, yes, I went to college. Uh, that's really the first time I left the state of Oregon. Uh, I went to Brigham Young University. Okay. And, cool. uh, I was on a, I, I got a, a scholarship to go to BYU that I was not even expecting. I didn't even ask for it. Wow. But somehow uh, it was really, you know, fortuitous is a, is a light word to describe it because I really uh, was struggling to figure out how I was going to pay for college. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm one of seven kids and my, uh, my dad was an attorney. Uh, my mom did not finish university, uh, but my siblings are all fantastic, bright, intelligent, insightful people. But yeah. our circumstances were such that I was the sixth of seven and none of my older siblings had graduated from college yet. 
so college really wasn't something we talked about in our home, even though my dad was an attorney. Wow. Uh, so looking back, that's a, it's a little weird, but uh, <laughs> hey. so it, it just wasn't an expectation. But for me, I kind of knew that I needed to go that route. And I didn't know how I was going to pay for it. My, my parents were not together at that time anymore. Um, so, you know, finances were, were really tough. And yeah. then I got a letter in the mail from Brigham Young University offering me a scholarship. Out of and the blue? Like you didn't even apply for it? I applied for BYU, but I also applied for some other schools. But uh, they responded, uh, you know, as I recall, quite quickly and, you know, and said, hey, we're also going to we're also going to pay part of your way. And I thought, well, that's it. You know, done. Wow. I'm there. That's but it was a great cool. move. I, I, yeah. I love going to school there. Fantastic. Wow. And is that in Salt Lake? Uh, it's in Provo, Utah, which oh. is about 35, 40 miles south of Salt Lake. Okay. Okay. So you went to, you left <clears throat> the beautiful state of, of Oregon and you headed off to, to Utah, mm -hmm. which is, by the way, 10 times more beautiful than Oregon <laughs> in its own ways. I mean, you don't have Mount Rainier right there up, up the road, but um, so, so how was, I mean, being six of seven kids, hmm. how was it, how was it when, how was your experience? Like here, here you are almost the youngest of the kids. Um, you're, you're off to your own, do your own deal out in Utah what 18 years old yeah i think so awesome. uh yeah. left left my high school sweetheart back in oregon she went to oregon state we later got married by the way about oh wow yeah about four years later uh we've been married now 34 years um wow. but uh it, it was it was a wonderful experience uh uh i i really appreciated the different perspectives that come from university life yeah. And then I actually decided to take um, some time away from university. I came back to university to finish eventually, but I took yeah. time away from university and I served a volunteer service mission for my church in Japan. Wow. And, uh, yeah. So this was something you had to pay for it yourself. Uh, when I said, hey, I volunteer to go. They didn't tell you where you're going to go. They just wanted to know if you were going to volunteer first. And so you could be assigned anywhere in the world. Uh, you could be assigned down the street. But they sent me to Japan and said, so you pay for it by yourself. Oh, and by the way, you, you got to learn the language. Wow. And, and you know, and you got to you got to be on an airplane in 90 days. Uh, so, wow. So, I had to figure out how to speak Japanese in 90 days. Uh, granted, they gave me some fantastic training. Uh, it's a two-month intensive training program, which is full immersion. Uh, but, you know, what they taught me wasn't the same language that I heard when I got to Narita Airport in Tokyo, right? Uh, <laughs> nothing was the same. So, well, you know what? Uh, that's a that's a noble effort, Ken. <laughs> well, I think I just said I speak a little Japanese, didn't I? You, you did, yeah. Close. You did. Um, and <laughs> you know, I and about four other people on the planet could understand what you just said. So, <laughs> but no, you did a great job. I'm teasing you. I, uh, I I worked at Honda right out of high school, so I had a lot of Japanese friends um, that 
Yeah. So nice. Yeah. yeah. So that's 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 probably how I sounded, you know, when I landed. And so uh, <laughs> are you saying my Japanese is bad, Rob? Come on, man. I'm just saying that if you were a three-year-old in Japan, they would just they would celebrate you right now because you could say that much. Um, no, you did a great job. That's I'm, about all I know how to say, by the way. Well, it's it's an easy language. Uh, it's a hard one to 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 learn, and it's a very easy one to forget um, mm. because it's so different than than yeah. English. Um, and <laughs> You know the sentence structure. Uh, it's it's and the vocabulary is crazy. And not to mention, you can't really study it in English writing. You got to study it by using the characters. There are twenty six thousand characters in the Chinese Japanese alphabet. It's um, crazy. And so, granted, they there are some basic characters that are found in every one of those characters. So you kind of learn the basics, of course. Yeah. So that was what I did for two years. Uh, again, life changing experience taught me how to, um, you know, how to be self-driven, uh, how to be disciplined, how to be uh, forthcoming with people and, and, and to kind of extend yourself. Yeah. Because, uh, I, I, you know, unlike you during COVID, I couldn't sit in my house, you know, and just kind of shut down for two years. I had to right. get out and serve people. And yeah. so anyway, Ken, it was a, it was a life-changing experience. Then I went back to university and finished my degree Married that high school sweetheart um, after a lot of cajoling. She's probably the best clothes I ever made in sales, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> there were a lot of objections for, for that one, but I finally got it. And, yeah, uh, started a family. Awesome. That's awesome, man. That, that's uh, Grant Cardone says that about his wife, too. I love that. That's funny. <laughs> he he <laughs> says it's not stalking if it works. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yeah. If she's agreeable. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. So, well, we, so we, we ended up in, in Los Angeles after that. Uh, wow. So I went to pursue a career in the movie business. That's what my degree was in. Uh, and my wife was, uh, she got a degree in fashion design. Okay. So LA seemed like a natural place for us to land. And we did. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I did some Japanese interpreting while I was there. I worked for a Japanese tour company, which was kind of fun. Wow. Got to know LA really fast because I'm taking all these Japanese tourists to all the famous sites yeah. and, um, you know, practicing my language, keeping it honed, if you will. And then, uh, and then I got the phone call that changed my life. How's that for a cliffhanger? Is this a time for a commercial? Let's do it. Let's do it. You know, I, I have you seen me and Glenn Morshower doing our live streams together? Have you seen any of those? I haven't seen that one. You know, I've seen some of your episodes. I've not seen that. Glenn Glenn Morshower has been an actor. He's a character actor for 45 years. He's been wow. in over 250 movies and TV. He's Agent Aaron Pierce from the TV show 24 for seven years. Oh, wow. Regular. He's yeah, he's uh, he's yeah. You'll have to go check out. We do a show on Sunday nights called with Scott McCain called the Ken and Glenn Show with a guy named Scott. And Glenn's my best friend in the whole world, so we have fun. It's just a talk show, and you know, right. we, yeah. But uh, so tell me, tell me about the, uh, the <laughs> go go into your commercial. <laughs> oh, okay. So, well, I got a phone call from a guy that I had met at the time. I was at Universal Studios. That's where I was working. Universal Studios Hollywood. Yep. And uh, and I, I got a I got a call from this guy that I'd met at a party about six months previous. 
And I vaguely remembered his name, but it was it wasn't a phone call to be honest. It was a page. Remember those, Ken? When we get those yeah, pages, I so do. I got a page from this guy, and I called back. I didn't know who the number was going to, and he reintroduces himself, and uh, he, he reminds me how we met, and he says, "Hey, I've just taken a job. I'm a sales manager for an organization here in town, and I remember having a conversation with you, and I think you'd be really well suited." for the positions I'm trying to fill right now. Would you be interested? So he, he went on to talk about the, the position, obviously the organization. And at first it was like, eh, no way, man. I, first, I don't want to be a salesman, right? Because we right. all know how we feel about salesmen. Yeah, uh, they're so, slime balls. Exactly, <laughs> right. Yeah, all of them. So <laughs> I, I just thought, no, this really isn't for me. It's interesting, but I but he was very persistent, like a good salesperson usually is. Right. In, a, in a polite, respectful way. And so eventually he convinced me to come in for an interview. So I did. And then I was interested after that first interview. And then the second interview really intrigued me by the position and the opportunity. It was a whole career change, of course, if I was to do this. Yeah. And in the third interview, he and his boss, who was the vice president, uh, were so convincing that I was pumped. I, I just, I was... I wouldn't say begging for the job, but I said, you've got to bring me on. And what was this again? What was the, the job? I'm going to show you. Yeah. Are you ready? Yeah. I took a job working for this organization. Sports Illustrated? No. The franchise that they're talking about on the cover here. It was the oh, L.A. No. basketball team. Who so was it? The L.A. Clippers basketball team. Oh, Lord have mercy. Yeah, and now I'm sure a lot of people watching right now don't know who the Clippers are, and that's cool. But for those who are watching, they probably have immediate sympathy for me. So the Clippers in the early 1990s, because that's when this took place, were, as Sports Illustrated said there, the worst franchise in the history of sports. Oh, my And um, my job was to go in there and sell tickets. So wow. I'm trying to convince you, Ken, to buy season tickets for the worst franchise ever that plays across town from the L.A. Lakers who are winning championships with Magic Johnson and yeah. Abdul-Jabbar, names we've all heard of, I'm sure. Yeah. And and the Clippers were playing in South Central L.A. <sighs> right after I got hired, the L.A. riots started six blocks from our arena. Our arena became the, became the headquarters for the National Guard for two weeks. Oh, my gosh. you got to be kidding me. No, it, wow. it was, you know, at face value, it was a complete nightmare. And uh, so these guys had bamboozled me, right? Oh. <laughs> I'm just going to go in there. And, was it commission only? Of course. Oh, Lord have mercy. Yeah, that's how stupid I was. Um, <laughs> and so... So Look, take, Charles Coachman no. says everyone feels sorry for you, Rob. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the kind of the theme of your show is, you know, <laughs> help people get unstuck. Yeah. I mean, dude, I was totally, I was stuck in a nightmare. And oh, uh, that sucks. So, and yeah, it, it did. It really did stink. Um, commission only. Meanwhile, my, my wife, she's now eight months pregnant with our first child. She can't work. Well, that makes it easier, at least. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, 
Should we end the story there and just call it good? That's insane, man. So no, keep going. So did you did you make did you make any money? Uh first 90 days, I did not make a single sale. Oh. And I'm obviously at my at my wits end. Um, team stinks, owner's an idiot, arena is a barn. Uh, you know, neighborhood is just not the ideal place to take your family, let alone, you know, your clients and your, your valued customers and your colleagues. So, um, I'm about ready to toss it in. Uh, and you know, I, I went home one night, uh, near the end of the 90 day period. It wasn't a trial period, by the way, just as I recall, it was about 90 days into it. And I said to my wife, whose, whose name is Allison, I said, Allison, you know what? I, I've, I've made a bad mistake. I'm, I'm really sorry. I left a good job at Universal. You know, that was my career track. And I did this crazy thing. And, uh, and by the way, your mother was right, which always, I hated saying that, Ken. So I never say that. Never go. You, you okay. take that one to your grave, man. You can't say that. <laughs> so, uh, I said, I'm going to toss it in and I'm going to go find a, another job. Universal has filled my position. So I got it. You know, there's always Jiffy Lube, right? Something like that. So <laughs> go work at uh, Ralph's supermarket or something. So oh my uh, God. But Allison said to me something here. here I'm, I'm going to get serious on you here, Ken. She said something to me that changed our lives. Allison's your wife. That's right. Yeah. She said, Rob, why don't you work one more week at the Clippers? Simple statement. I said, well, why would I do that? She says, well, don't they open the season? Don't you guys start the season in one week? And she was right. I said, yeah, we do. As a matter of fact, she says, well, I know you've worked hard all summer because I took the job in the beginning of the summer. Yeah. And she says, and I had, I, had, I was the first one in the office. I was the last guy to leave every night, just cranking out phone calls, trying to make it happen. And uh, she says, I know you've worked hard, so why don't you at least stick around until the first game because that'll be your reward, you know, because she knew I'd get to walk around the court and go in the locker room. And, you know, as yeah. a 20-something, this is kind of a big deal. Yeah, right. And so we, we kind of almost shook on it, and that was our deal. So I stayed one more week, and that night uh, when the game began – most of my colleagues, who, by the way, we were all without leadership because the guy who hired me had since had since quit. <laughs> so, <laughs> He's like, I'm not making any money. This place sucks. I'm out of here, babe. <laughs> so, um, so we don't know what to do on our first night as sports marketers. So my <laughs> colleagues naturally sit down and watch the game, right? Is Stupid. that what they called you, sports marketers? Well, back in those days, uh, right. I think a little more sophisticated today. <laughs> so I decided to do something instead, Ken, which actually transformed my career. I know that sounds like hyperbole, but here's what happened. I decided not to sit down, but I decided to turn around from where I was standing underneath the basket yeah. and look up into the stands and I wanted to see who was at a Clippers game tonight because I couldn't find these people on the phones. Nobody was interested in going when I was making phone calls all summer. But there were a few thousand people along with a few thousand empty seats in the building that night. Yeah. And I looked around and I began to observe the people who were there. And I discovered, without going into all the details, I discovered 
families who were there to enjoy quality time, memories, um, one-on-one -on -one conversation with kids, grandkids, spouses, significant others. I, I observed companies that were there with their coworkers being rewarded for performance, mm. uh, trying, to, um, trying to build better camaraderie and communication and collaboration within their offices. Or in some cases, they weren't there to be rewarded, I would bet. They were there to be punished because, <laughs> because they weren't doing those things, right? And so oh my presumably a boss was saying, look, um, you guys aren't getting along. You're not working together well. There's no cohesion in this office. So you know what we're going to do? This is all in my head, of course. You know what we're going to do? We're going to go to a Clippers game. Yes, a Clippers game, and you'll like it, doggone it. Not and, a Lakers uh, game, a Clippers game. No, no, you don't deserve a <laughs> Lakers game. We're going to a Clippers game, and you guys, I'm going to force you to get to know each other as people. Oh, my gosh. Right? As You're not going to want to watch the game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, you talk, because the boss knows that if I can get people who understand each other better at yeah. night, they'll become better colleagues during the day. That is so funny. Right? And so they'll work together more. There'll be more productivity, better performance. So again, this is what I'm observing and imagining in my mind. I also saw a bunch of nonprofit organizations, not a bunch, but a few that had bought you know, a section of seats. And I wondered, why are they here? Especially those of them who have kids, a bunch of kids organizations. Why would they be here on a school night watching yeah. a Clippers preseason game in South Central LA? And- I began to, again, imagine the answer. They're here to raise money. They're here to raise awareness of their cause. They're here to recruit more members. They're here to so, what, volunteers. They're here to be organized. Wait, the, these are not real, real things. You're making this stuff up in your head. Well, that's the funny thing about it, Ken. I am making it up in my head. <laughs> <laughs> I'm being imaginative, but it got oh. me unstuck. I love that, dude. I absolutely freaking love that, man. I love, because, love, love that. Yeah, because it, it, I would just tell you one more thing I observed. There was a guy sitting courtside. I don't know who he was to this day, but this guy was the cat's meow. You know, he was dressed to the nines, and, uh, and, and, and there was a guy next to him who wasn't dressed the same. And I thought that's a weird dyna dynamic because they're talking to each other. So I, I imagined, okay, this guy has a customer. Or he has a recruit he's trying to bring onto his firm. Or yeah. he's got a client that he's trying to get more business from. Or maybe he's got a stupid brother-in-law that he's just trying to build a relationship with. <laughs> and so it occurred to me as I'm watching all this, Ken, oh my I've God. been selling the wrong thing all summer. Oh, Seriously. my gosh. I have been selling in, in sports. We call it X's and O's, Right. Wow. I've been selling, we also call it W's and L's, wins and losses. That's yeah. what I've been talking about with people on the phone. And no one buys it because I'm the LA Clippers. Right. Win any games, I'm not going to win a championship. No. And so <laughs> I concluded that night, oh my gosh, I got, I got to do this thing all over. I went home and I said to Allison, I, I think I figured it out. I figured out why people are going to Clippers games. And so I convinced her to let me go back the next day and give it another shot. And I did. I got on the phones, Ken. And you know what? I had 
I had diff a different introduction. It's not, hey, this is Rob with the Clippers. It's hip <laughs> clip, you know, and be our next fan. No, instead of us, Ken Walls, I bet, I bet you are constantly looking ways to not only thank your guests, but also to build even stronger relationships with each of them so that perhaps those relationships could turn into business between the both of you. And there are, there are things that we at the LA Clippers would like to do to ensure that happens for you starting this week. Wow. Now, are you going to turn me down? No. Are you going to tell me you don't like basketball? You might, but I would then come back and say, Ken, it's not about basketball. I didn't say a thing about basketball. You're a Laker fan? Fantastic. Don't, don't give that up. Right. I at the Clippers, we at the Clippers are not concerned about your fandom. Right. We're concerned about helping your business get the results you're looking for every single day. And we believe we've got a resource, a tool, a device, a strategy, a tactic that can help you achieve those results. And that's why we'd like to have a conversation with you either on the phone or I'd like to come see you in your office or better yet, invite you down to our arena when it's empty. And we can just sit in the stands and have a very, very poignant conversation about the outcomes you're trying to achieve every single day for your business or for your nonprofit or for your family and circle of friends. And I'm going to show you how the Clippers will be riveted on that outcome until it's accomplished together. Dude, that is absolute. And you're 20 something. That is absolutely freaking brilliant. I mean, that's brilliant. And I love the shift, man. Like you went from trying to sell tickets to a team that's never going to like uh, when you said come and sit in an empty arena, I thought, is that during a game? <laughs> <laughs> that would be fair. <laughs> That's right. Somebody but said that man sitting there was Steve Ballmer. Yeah, exactly. So, now, Steve so, Ballmer was not our owner at the time, just to be fair. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. We had an owner that was eventually the guy who, the guy that I worked for was eventually expelled from the NBA. Oh, wow. A, yeah. It was wow. so bad. So <laughs> it was so bad. <laughs> so I I got uh, you know what Steve uh, Ken you said Steve Ballmer sorry yeah. so Ken what happened that was the beginning of October of 1991. By the end of that month, Halloween night, I went through that same door of that very very small apartment that Allison and I had, and I told my Allison I said Allison I did it. I just set the record this month for the most season ticket sales in Clippers history. Wow. And it wasn't because we were winning games. It wasn't because we <clears throat> were going to the playoffs or announced, you know, a new coach or the number one draft pick or anything like that. It was because I changed my approach. It wasn't about buy my product, but let my product get you the results you want. And that persisted for the next several months. And then they promoted me. I then took the job of the guy who left. Wow. And we started having success as an organization doing this, selling out games that we shouldn't be selling out. <laughs> and, uh, and then I started going around uh, sharing these ideas with other franchises uh, at their request. Of course, I didn't just show up uninvited. And, uh, and, and then it led to a business. A few years later, I started a company. Dude, that is, can you, can you, cause you, people are just now joining or have joined late, but I, I, you know, you started the story talking about how you, 
um, went for this interview and the, the manager and the owner, right. Was the owner involved in that interview? No, he wasn't. Okay. Um, yeah. But you, they got you all excited to work for this company and you held up something. Hold, hold that up again. Would you? You bet, man. <laughs> I love it. And I said, Oh, you work for sports illustrated. And you said, no, the worst franchise in sports history. That's right. That's uh, that's me. It's uh, that's the through. LA Clippers. Is the uh, they they wrote it? Oh my gosh! Yeah, and I want to point out to our viewers: uh, it doesn't say here the worst franchise of the decade uh, <laughs> or of the year. We're talking history, folks. This is going back to Athens. Okay, <laughs> this is a while ago. Um, oh my god, that is so. Hey, but in fairness, everybody who's joining us, you know, if whether they have a traditional sales function or role or not, everybody here, the reason they're here is because they've got a story, right? Right, right. They've had they've they have had a challenge. They've had that insurmountable mountain that they yeah. had to try to get up to and over. So I'm not alone in that. I don't I don't hold myself out as being anybody that had a harder, had a hard, harder climb than anyone else. Yeah. I'm just thinking that that was my climb. And, uh, and and yet, I instead of saying, well, you know, forget this, I'm heading back down the mountain and trying something else. Yeah. I just, uh, thanks to my wife's, you know, urging, I gave it one more shot. And that one more shot is when the light went on. And I changed don't my you, Don't you feel, and, and I don't want to get all spiritual and religious, um, but don't you feel like there was some sort of providential intervention there that was like, like, Hey, maybe look at these people sitting in the stands like this instead of like, Oh my gosh, look at all the losers that paid for tickets to this horrible <laughs> game. <laughs> like You start looking at them in a complete and you reframe the whole thing. That's a really good point. And I, I absolutely agree with you. I mean, there's two ways to, to, to look at what you just said. First of all, how you look at the customer, but also what prompted me yeah. to make the decision to look at them differently. And, and so, yes, I believe that if we look at customers or potential clients and customers, those who we are trying to sell yeah. as simply um, suspects, Right. And if we look at them as victims of our of our tactics or our cleverness, yeah, then we may be successful in completing a transaction, right? But there's like there's no there's not going to be any relationship there. Right. There's not going to be as we say in the sports world. There's not going to be no renewal, right? Right? They're not going right. to be a long time season ticket holder. They're going to be a, a short term. Yeah, we gave it a shot. Doesn't work. It's not for us. Right. Right. Um. So I had to change my thinking from, hey, I'm, because I was, as you pointed out, Ken, early on, I was a commission-only salesperson for the lowly LA Clippers of the 90s. And so wow. even though that was a, perhaps a stupid thing to accept, I did it anyway. Sure. And so because I was desperate and I was always, my back was against the wall, I was just trying to get a sale, whatever I had to do. I wasn't lying to people because you can't make promises that you can't back up, at least not in sports, because your, your fallacies and your weaknesses and your shortcomings are broadcast for the entire world to see. It's called the sports page. It's right. called sports radio. It's called ESPN. 
And in fact, I would point out, and I'll get back to what you, the point that you made, because I think it's a very important one, but I would point out that what other, what other industry really has so much media and, and um, just social attention placed on it, right? Every one of your mistakes is, is magnified for everyone to see. I mean, like I say, in the traditional sense, we do have an entire section of newspapers dedicated to tell people where we're screwing up. And they put a they put it under the microscope, man. They don't exactly. they don't just go, hey, did you see that? They dissect it. That's on right. Air. <laughs> yeah. like, and at every water cooler, people are telling each other how stupid my product is, right? <laughs> and my organization and my owner. I don't talk that way about the local, you know, manufacturing company. They're right. really the topic around the water cooler. Right. Um, so, so funny, dude. In that environment, you can't lie to people because you'll be found out real fast. Not to mention, it's just the wrong thing to do. So, I had to learn to look at my my prospects differently and not say, "How do I how do I trick them? What's a gimmick that I can use to get the sale?" Yeah. And the second part of what you said, I really like, Ken, and that is just the realization that these people just as I had needs and I was in yeah. my case desperate for an income. Yeah. And I was desperate to make my mark on my company, on my industry. And, and literally I was desperate to buy baby formula and diapers. Wow. Right. But I had to look at people in the same way that I, I see myself. These are people who have their needs, who have to fulfill obligations to their boss. How can I help them do that? How can I help them make a difference in their work? And when I flipped that thinking, I looked at them differently. And, yeah. and that's what changed my approach. And that's why people began immediately to respond well to my introduction, to my invitation for a conversation. That I, is, I, I, I just, I love that, man. I absolutely love it. By the way, Zach Benson is in the house. Oh, cool. What's up, Zach? Zach's who introduced us. Thank you for that. So, so exactly. you, um, so you, you turned the franchise around and, and made them a championship team. Well, no, <laughs> <laughs> that's not at all the case. Um, when I left the Clippers, uh, they were still, you know, kind of the laughing stock of yeah. sports and late night talk show hosts, Jay Leno and, you know, David Letterman, they still made fun of the Clippers with most of their monologues. Um, and I still that's had to terrible. sell through that, by the way. And that's, in fact, Ken, that's an interesting point. Um, how many people listening right now or watching right now sell a product or a service that they personally have absolutely no control over? Not even 1%. Right. They, they can't even, they can't make a single suggestion on how to improve it. You just got to sell what you're given. Well, that's that was the situation that I was in and that people who work in sports are in. I could not walk down the hallway from the sales office into the general manager, general manager's office, who at that time was Elgin Baylor, the great Hall of Fame basketball player. I couldn't go into his office and say, hey, Elge, hey, dude, I got a suggestion for our starting point guard position. I've been thinking about this. I'm going to drive in today. Right. <laughs> or or walk into the locker room. Hey, guys. 
Uh, the best way to turn this all around is start like actually making those shots you take. That's right. Yeah, yeah. You're not invited to those meetings, right? So you just yeah, that is so terrible. And uh, so no, the Clippers, the Clippers did improve. In fact, that year that I was the my first full year, yeah, when we started to sell out games because of the sales effort. We did make the playoffs that year for the first time in the club's history, and wow. I want to I want to share with you if I could and your and your uh, your fans here can a yeah. story. Um, that year, towards the end of the year, I was on a road trip with the team. I was allowed to go on the team plane on occasion on these road trips, and that was just kind of a nice reward for for my work. And now I was in a in a leadership position. And on one particular trip, we had just won a, uh, um, an away game. Seriously. <laughs> I want to repeat that. We wow. had just won. Yeah. Give it up. We just won yeah. an away game. And um, I'm sitting in the private airport terminal with our players and our coaches as we're getting ready to board the plane to go on to the next stop. And our two starting forwards at, uh, at that time, a guy named Danny Manning, and a guy named Charles Smith were sitting at this cocktail table mm -hmm. and uh, just, you know, drinking and talking amongst themselves. And I was with them. I was just, you know, I was hoarding the hors d'oeuvres because it was free food, Ken, mm -hmm. and I'm a starving salesperson. So I'm enjoying the, the food and everything and minding my own business. And all of a sudden, Charles, uh, one of those power, the power forward of our team, he just turns to me all of a sudden and says, hey, Rob you know why you guys are selling so many tickets right now back home? And, uh, you know, th this surprised me that he was a talking <laughs> to me and B that he even noticed. And right. I said, um, you know, I said, uh, uh, no, no, Charles. Uh, wh why, why do you think that's happening? He goes, because we're playing so well right now. I said, you know what? That's true. That's absolutely true. I cannot deny you guys are, you guys are on a roll and it makes my job easier. It's icing on the cake. Yeah, And as I'm starting to lather up, you know, with a bunch of compliments, this guy, Danny Manning, the other one, he puts his hand in my chest kind of to shut me up. And he looks across the table to Charles. He says, yeah, but Charles, you know why we're playing so well? Because Rob and his staff are selling so many tickets. Not bad. That's so awesome. it, it was a great moment where we all understood that. The sales department has got to do their job and let's call them the, the people in development or manufacturing yeah. or design or whatever. They got to do their job as well. Yeah. If they're both working cohesively and in partnership, pulling their weight, that to me is the definition usually of a successful organization. And that's, yeah. that's, uh, that's what the Clippers were towards the end of my tenure there. You know, I I um I studied everything, and I'm sure you did that Zig Ziglar ever put out, and and you know he used to say, and ironically, then years later, here I am friends with all of his kids, and but like the the you know he used to say if if salespeople all took the day off the wheel of globally, the wheels of industry would come to a screeching halt. And, mm -hmm. and that, that, you know, so when you're selling a lot of tickets because you reframed, like you, you, you reframed it. You're like, no, 
I mean, I'm selling for the worst basketball team in the history of the world, but that's not what I'm going to sell anymore. I'm not selling come and watch the worst team ever. I'm selling an experience for your company, for your, your, to build your corporate values and team and, and all of that. And that's brilliant, man. Well, thank you, Ken. And just to expand on what you just said, what we like to say at the company that I've since formed, uh, I left the Clippers and formed, formed a company called Game Face Incorporated. So okay. we're all about putting on your business game face, taking the yeah. same qualities and attributes that you expect for athletes on a court or the ice or the field to bring every day to yeah. bring those to your office from top to bottom, yeah. right? From your owner all the way down to the receptionist or the intern in the mailroom. How yeah. does everyone wear their game face every day? And so, what we teach among many principles and practices of sales and customer service, the first one, the foundational principle is what we call results-centered selling. So as you just pointed out, we yeah. don't sell the product. We sell the results one gets from the product. Right. Because the fun thing about this is that if you sell results as opposed to the product, your objections are going to go down drastically. Yep. What is an objection? An objection is someone saying either A, you don't understand what I'm trying to accomplish. In other words, my results. Yeah. B, I don't think your product is the tool, is the is the resource I need to get me there. C, you, you're, you're not listening or understanding. You're not taking the time to do so. So as a, as an organization and with all of our clients, one of the first things we do what, that we focus on when we engage with a client is we identify who is their market, who is their target, and then we brainstorm, we imagine, we, we, uh, we consider what are the daily results that your customers, your clients, your patients, your volunteers, your nonprofit members or donors are looking for every single day when they get up, irrespective of your organization. If you never even existed, what are those results they're trying to achieve every day? And now the next question is, after we make a long list, how many of those are achievable using your product or service? Mm. And the answer, Ken, is amazing. 98% of those items listed are actually affected by our client's product or service. Wow. And then I say to them, boom, you now know exactly how to start a sales call. You now uh, I, know exactly what you're going to do in your messaging, in your marketing. It's brilliant. I, I think, it, you know, so many salespeople attack the game from the, 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 you know, features and benefits and price. Mm. And, and, and that's it. They don't talk about what the end result is going to be. I mean, I do. I, I I understand that. You understand that. But there's a lot of salespeople that that are not focused on this is the result that you're going to get from this. And I and so you stop. I again, I'm going to go back to the the divine intervention, and I'm going to call it that because it was man. It, there, it, it's it. That's an anomaly for for you being twenty some years old to stand there under the basket on the court and look up to the fans and start imagining this stuff that you know and I know is not true, but like you were imagining this 
And all of a sudden you had a huge reframing mindset shift. That's right. It was an epiphany. And, wow. and I will tell you from a, from a spiritual standpoint, I have always been grateful that the impression to a go back to, you know, try it again and B look up into the stands and ask yourself, honestly, why are these people here? They're not here to watch a win because that doesn't happen in those days at the LA Clippers, right? <laughs> They're here for some other reason. And what is that reason? And so, yes, I, I, I am grateful. I'm, I'm grateful to God for helping me in anything and everything I've been able to do in my career and, yeah. and for the, the impressions and even maybe inspiration that I've gotten. You know, it's funny. Um, Ken, I've got, uh, I've got a podcast that I do. It's called Game Face Execs. We just launched it a few weeks ago. Uh, one of our episodes coming up is me interviewing uh, Todd Hoffman. And Todd Hoffman is the creator and star of the reality TV series Gold Rush, which appears on Discovery Channel every Friday night. It's, uh, it's in its 10th or 11th season. Okay. And Todd's a personal friend of mine. And when I interviewed him for Game Face Execs podcast, um, it's interesting. I said, so where did Gold Rush come from? You know, this this crazy notion about a bunch of a bunch of nobodies going out, you know, in the wilderness trying to mine for gold. And it's turned into one of the biggest hits the Discovery Channel's ever had, ever. And he's and he said, you know what? Not only it started in my house as I started to hatch this idea, but he says, I don't, I can't explain it, and people may not believe me or agree with me, but I really do think God had a hand in what I did, because I hope through this program I encourage people, I encourage people to get unstuck. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, he's a great rags to riches story. Wow. Uh, and so I, I concur that in many of our cases, um, I, I do think that if we're if we're doing things for the right reasons, if yeah. our heart's in the right place, and we're not trying to take advantage of people, we're trying to better the lives and conditions of other people. I do believe that we do we should get some divine assistance in that. However, it may come. Uh, it comes through other people usually. Um, but anyway, that's, that's that's the way I believe, and I'm comfortable with that belief system. I, I am absolutely blown away that we've been on here 46 minutes, man. That, that, <laughs> it seems like we've been on here 20 minutes. Like, okay, let's get to the other part of the story. So, like, so you obviously you left you left the Clippers. Um, sounds like you eventually started making some money um, and and developed a a training program for their new recruits because i would imagine it was not easy to recruit people right i, yeah. I mean that that just doesn't seem real like it'd be very difficult um so so and then you started your own company where did how did that all come about where did um like go, leaving the clippers and starting your own company what made you decide to do that and and how did it go in the first couple of years well, uh, two parts of the story. First of all, uh, when the league office of the National Basketball Association began to see what we were doing at the Clippers, selling out games when our team still stunk, uh, yeah. they, they called me basically on the carpet because they thought we were doing something mischievous, right? Mm. Uh, we, they thought we were breaking league policies, maybe 
what they say in sports, we call it papering the house where they were just giving away a bunch of free tickets to fill it up. Oh yeah. So I had to explain to them, no, 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 these are not give outs. These are sellouts. We're actually selling these tickets. And so I explained to them the approach that we were using and, uh, they then invited me to share that approach with all the other teams at, at the time. This is again in the midnight, excuse me, early 1990s. Wow. So I, I began to share it with the other teams and then uh, they were starting to adopt this approach. And then other sports teams from other, you know, baseball, football, hockey, um, women's soccer, they began calling and asking, Hey, do you think that could work for our sport in our market, in our venue? And I would just respond, well, hey, principles are principles, right? And we'll just, we'll tweak it. We'll tweak the application of the principle for your market, for your sport, for your history, for your brand. And uh, and we started to see success throughout the industry. And so long story short, I started Game Face in 1995, recognizing that my industry um, had this big void of good salesmanship. And, and an understanding of how sales should be done the right way. And so I started this company, <clears throat> was the first consulting firm to focus on sports. I became known as the sales coach for sports. Wow. Um, you know, today we have over 300 sports brands around the world that use our approach. But here's the other thing I think most of your listeners would want to know, and that is that over the last 25 years since we started the company, uh, we have increasingly taken our approach to industry, um, manufacturing, retail, professional and financial services, tech, media, wow. the list goes on. And, uh, and so we can use our sports story kind of as a, as a fun way to begin, because yeah. I think we'd all admit, even though maybe, Ken, you're not a diehard sports fan, sports is one language that most of us understand. Yeah. And it kind of captures the attention of most sales staffs. Yeah. And and so if if they're if they're a sales staff that has no proclivity to follow sports, that's fine. But they do know about teamwork. Yeah. And they know about some of the principles that a sports team has to utilize to be successful. So we incorporate that into our training, into our consulting. And uh, rather than talk about sports stories that most sports trainers find out of a book or a magazine, we actually talk about what it's like to work for the Boston Celtics or what it's like to work for the team that just the St. Louis Cardinals that just won the World Series and how they're going to maintain staying on top with a very um, demanding fan base or how you're going to work with the Chicago Bulls when Michael Jordan retires for good. And how right. do you ensure continuous sellouts when now the team is never going to be what it used to be? Well, in all of those situations, those franchises called Game Face. So wow. we're going to utilize those experiences and bring them to that retail company or that professional service company or firm and show them how principles apply across the board. You know, I, I'm sitting here thinking about how many phone calls I've received from the Columbus Blue Jackets. And and their pitch, which and, is a hockey team for those who don't know. Yeah, yeah, right. And and I'm like, wow, they that this is the pitch. This is this is the pitch they've given me. To, yeah, to- I was fortunate to work with the Blue Jackets 
And at, at that time in the in the NHL history, the National Hockey League, there were four franchises that came into the league about the same time. Yeah. Columbus, Atlanta, um, uh, St. Paul, and Dallas. I, I think I'm missing one. But anyway, uh, the NHL invited Game Face to work with all of those expansion franchises at that time. Wow. And, and so that's when I first started working with, with the Blue Jackets. And I worked with the Columbus Crew soccer team when they came into town. Yeah. In fact, you and I talked earlier um, when Major League Soccer began in 1995. Yeah, uh, they hired me and my firm to be the official sales coach for Major League Soccer as they began the league, and we worked with all 12 original franchises and how to establish a sales structure, a philosophy, a staff. Um, you know the practices that you'll be known for throughout your market. And wow. so we've, just, we've been very, very fortunate. And now we just love doing it for non-sports companies because their people really respond well to the approach. That is so awesome, man. I, I you know what? I can't, somebody said they just pre-ordered your book. Is it not for sale sale yet? It's not out yet. We have, we've been taking pre-orders uh, just starting this month. It'll be out later this year. Um, okay. We love Amazon, but Amazon kind of indicates that it won't be available till December 31st of this year. That's not true. Uh, they say on December 31st, it's going to be before December 31st. So yeah, please order the book. It's available now. It, it became in one day, it became an international bestseller when we opened it up for presale. Wow. So we're very excited about that. And uh, and I would tell you, if anyone wants to go to our, web, our website, GameFaceInc.com. GameFaceInc.com. Uh, Inc.com. Gamefaceinc.com. We're going to put that um, on the scroller they, down. They can find more information about the book, about the podcast, uh, and about our, our various services, the industries that we work with. And Ken, I wanted to throw this out. If someone contacts me today by email or or they want to get on LinkedIn and, and connect with me and make and, and message me on LinkedIn, if they mention you and your show, whatever we do with them. We're going to do it for 50% off our normal rates. Wow. So got to do it today. At least start the conversation today and mention yeah. Ken. If you don't mention Ken Walls, it's not going to work. So what's your, what's your email? What, how, what I'm going to put it up on screen. Thank you. The email is RYC. Those are my initials. RYC at gamefaceinc.com. Gamefaceinc.com. I am too, right? Yes, INC. And if they tell me something about Ken that's personal and private that he'd never want broadcast to the world, I'll give them another 5% off. <laughs> oh, geez. Don't. Joe, Joe Ingram is watching, I think. And I need to connect you and Joe. You and Joe Ingram need to be connected because he is a sales trainer in the automotive industry um, and very well known. He's in Orange County, so he's out out, out there in in. La La Land. I'm familiar uh, with the area. Yep. Yeah. So, um, and he also has a show where he brings on sales trainers and and the you know talk and and all and on Zoom or something. So, um, yeah, I think you guys you guys would hit it off. Joe's funny, um, well, Joe, and he loves to pick on me. So, and Joe, since you're listening, uh, again, we don't have to talk sports when we do our work with our clients. Yeah, uh, we can turn it on and off as you want. But Joe, you got to admit, everybody you work with, they're pretty much into sports. Look what he just wrote on the screen. Can you see that? That's awesome. 
Okay, so he gets <laughs> no. more than 5%. <laughs> so, um, man, I like so the best place to follow you, are you active on social media anywhere? Uh, LinkedIn is really where I do most of my communications, um, okay. a little bit on Facebook, uh, but mostly LinkedIn. And, uh, um, and of course, uh, Zach Benson, who introduced us, who yeah. is a master at social media, particularly yeah. Instagram. Yep. I mean, if anyone watching right now has not met Zach Benson or hasn't followed him, you need to do that. Because Zach um, is brilliant at how to grow your brand and your following in a very, very short and easy way. Yep. Um, so I'm sorry, Zach. I'm not as good at Instagram as you want me to be. I'm, I'm working on it. But LinkedIn is really the best way for us to, to communicate unless you just want to email me directly. That'd be awesome. And also... Um, uh, I might... I, 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 um, I, I, something happened there and my, I was gone. <laughs> like, well, if I need to take over the show, Ken. Uh, hey, hopefully you handled it well. So, um, yeah. I, I'll, and, and Ken, um, not to, not to pull any attention from the work that you do, but that podcast that we started called Game Face Execs. Yeah. Uh, we've only had three episodes so far. So I'm about 247 behind you or something. Uh, probably, probably more like two two thousand four hundred ninety seven behind you. But uh, our first two episodes, we had Stephen M. R. Covey, who wrote "The Speed of Trust." Wow! And uh, and then today we just launched an episode with Jamie Roots, who's the president of the Houston Texans of the NFL. So we're going to have a lot of sports figures, celebrities like you do, and a lot of people from other industry. Uh, next week, here's a here's a spoiler alert. We've got Tim Boyle, who's the chairman and CEO of Columbia Sportswear, who will be uh, who's our guest. A fantastic, fascinating interview with him about that brand and how they built it up uh, over the last sixty years. So, anyway, hope That'd people incredible. Hope people will take a, a look at that. That is absolutely incredible. So, everybody, um, connect with Rob at, at send him an email. You know, start start communicating. Hook up with him on LinkedIn, Facebook. I know I'm gonna go. You know, Facebook only allows you to have five thousand friends. I'm gonna go delete somebody, and and <laughs> you and I are we're gonna be friends on Facebook. Um, and I want to apologize to Ken's mom for that, but you know, <laughs> hey, later, mom. <laughs> I don't be so aggressive on my Facebook, mom. <laughs> no, dude, you are awesome. I, I, I absolutely, I, I do want to, I saw a question on here. Robert Brooker already sent you an email. That's cool. amazing. Um, there was a question that I saw. Oh, Charles Coachman asks a good question and he's in, I think Charles is at Charles. You're in LA, I believe. Right. Um, he said, how will sports come through this time of COVID and civil unrest? Man, that is such a, a great, and Joe Ingram says, hey, Ken just deleted me. But how, how do you, uh, how do you think, how do you think teams are, are sports in general, especially, not just especially professional, because the NCAA is doing some crazy stuff too. I mean, what, how do you, how are how are they going to come through this? What What do you think? Well, uh, first of all, that's a good tease for watching my episode today with Jamie Roots of the Texans because we talk about some of this. 
Jamie and um, I, Jamie's been in the industry for 25 years as, as I have. But um, I, I will tell you that, first of all, I don't know the answer to be just to be yeah. straight up. I just don't know the answer because there are so many things going on right now that we just cannot predict and that we have no control over. I will say a few things, though. Um, what I am what I'm trying to impress upon my team clients, and if you're late joining us, uh, Gameface, my company has about 300 sports teams and intercollegiate athletic departments that we work with around the world. And so what I'm trying to share with them today is this. Because there are things that we cannot predict or control, um, what we do need, what we should be doing is focusing on the principles that will not change. So there's a difference between principles and practices. A principle is a universal truth. It's solid. You can rely on it. A practice is malleable. It, it depends on conditions and market and, and, and what we're learning from our customers and what our competition is doing. So I'm not going to focus on practices right now. I say to my team clients, I say, let's focus on the principles and let's really um, let's cement ourselves in those. So give you some examples. I call them the 10 COVID C's. Here are the 10 COVID C principles. One, community. A sports team has got to recognize the valuable place that they, or the part that they play in a community. Right. And that that community is not confined to one ideology. That community is not confined to one geography. That community is not um, confined to one industry. They have a wide swath a wide net that they cast into a community and they have got to be viewed as an integral and crucial part of that community. And there is no better time for a sports team to demonstrate that than when you're going through a crisis together as a society. I think back to what happened after 9-11. If, if you'll all recall, those of you who experienced it with me, you'll remember that the one cathartic moment that brought us together, it seems, happened to be a sporting event at Yankee Stadium when the players spoke and the flag was unfurled. And, yeah. and for the city of New York, that healed the community. It was a sporting event. Say what you will about baseball. I don't care if you hate the Yankees, but that sports event brought us together. So I say to my team clients, you have a stewardship that you must adhere to, and you cannot give up that stewardship based on what's politically or ideologically expedient right now. Wow. And, and in fact, Ken and I have spoken offline about this topic, and that is, are you a, an entertainment company or are you uh, an activist? And one might say, well, we can be both. And I'm not going to dispute that, but I'm just going to caution against that decision. Right. Because in, in some of your customers' minds, you can't be both. Right. Because once you become an activist for a cause, whatever it may be, if there's any kind of edginess around that cause, you will disenfranchise some of your community. And so that's just a choice you as a team have to make. I, I, just, I, I, I literally, a buddy of mine that has his own private jet, he's doing and drives a Rolls Royce. So he's doing very well in life. Um, literally, he's in Oregon right now. Um, visiting, he lives in Florida, but he, um, he literally just posted on Facebook that he just dropped all of his Nike stuff. Everything he owns with Nike, he dropped off at a Goodwill center, everything. Hmm. So you're right. 
it, it does create it, it. You can you can crush your own brand by doing some. Well, here's you know you're bringing up Nike, Ken, and I. <clears throat> I probably shouldn't have said their name. <laughs> no, it's, it's interesting. <laughs> As those of us, those of you who've been with Ken and I since this broadcast started today, um, my company started in Portland, Oregon, and yeah. uh, we were there for 20 years. So I have a lot of friends at Nike because Nike's yeah. in Beaverton, just a few min minutes right. away from the old office. And in fact, not to name drop. I shouldn't name drop Ken. Sorry. Go George, ahead. Name drop. George Clooney told me never to do this, but, um, um, <laughs> but that um, Glenn Morshower does the same exact thing. That is so funny. So uh, Phil, Phil Knight became a friend of mine about 10 years ago. Uh, the wow. founder of Nike. Now he's, yeah. he's, he's emeritus at this point. He's yeah, fully right. retired, even though he still has an office there and, I still speak with his office and his assistant uh, just earlier this month, as a matter of fact. But I was talking to someone else at Nike just a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, I, I was asking them about this very point about you guys are being pretty um, decided on what you're going to do amongst all the turmoil that our country is going through right now. Yeah. And let's just be on the record here. We all hate injustice. And right. We want to be first front, front and center in doing what we can in our little parts of the world to eradicate social injustice. Yeah. At the same time, as a brand, those who are the stewards of the brand, you have to make a very careful, calculated decision how you're going to respond to social injustice, if you're going to do it corporately or individually. And in Nike's case, they've taken a very strong stance on certain and recent events. Um, but the person I talked to mentioned to me, and I, I don't want to disclose confidences, of course. No, yeah, no, no, no. But I think I, I can I can share this general um, principle, and that is everyone has to ask who is our customer. What does our customer want and expect from us right now? Right. And then we act. Yeah. So back to the previous question, what are sports? What what sports going to look like? Well, sports teams, sports leagues, um, intercollegiate athletic departments, universities, they have to ask themselves, who is our customer? And what do they want and expect from us right now? Right. And my caution to my clients is, have you really done enough careful analysis of your customer? Have you communicated with them enough to really understand what they want? Or are you being reactionary? Either way you go. Are you being right. reactionary? That's not smart business. Right. And so we have to have the long, the, the big picture in mind, right? The long yeah. game in mind. Yeah. Uh, so that's the first of the 10 COVID C's to answer the question. And wow. Is this in the book? Uh, it's, it's not in the book, but it is in a webinar, which I'm now conducting for both, both sports clients and non-sports clients. Cause we're all going through this together. Yeah. So if anyone wants more information on that, I'd be happy to talk to you about how I can adopt the 10 COVID C's with you to your enterprise, to your small business, to your startup, to your nonprofit organization. And I'd be happy to, 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 to provide that to, yeah. to your people. Uh, it's proven wow. to be very helpful and kind of a guiding, um, a guiding presentation for a lot of organizations or so we're being told. So everybody on here, send Rob an email, tell him how awesome he is. Start out with that. 
<laughs> start with that. Excuse me. And, um, and, uh, dude, you are, um, you're brilliant. I, I'm very, very grateful that you took the time to, to come on. Charles Coachman is in the, <coughs> excuse me, Silicon Valley area. And he's a, he's a season ticket holder, a disenfranchised season ticket holder. <laughs> Sorry, so, dear. Yeah. I mean, so. there's a lot going on, Charles. Um, this is, a, this is a pivotal moment for perhaps your business, the way you conduct your business. It's a pivotal moment for my clients, who are, those who are in the sports industry. Uh, and I just, I just um, encourage caution, uh, thoughtfulness. Let's not, let's not let the emotionalism that is so much a part of what we see on the news every day, even though Ken doesn't watch the news, Ken, there's a lot of emotion out there. Okay. Take my yeah. word. For it. Um, no, I know there is. I know. I know. I'm we just have to, we have to be everybody in business, everybody uh, who follows Ken, we've got to be the adults in the room. Yeah. And, um, and yes, as I say, where we see injustice, whether it be social injustice or whether it be financial injustice or education or whatever it may be, when we have positions of leadership and authority and and when when we are privileged to have the roles that we have we have a responsibility and an obligation to do something for our society uh but we got to be careful when we extend that into our business relationships because it could have ramifications that are unexpected and unintended i you know um and we're we're over time but that's all right i it's, oh, it's my show. I like, and it's the internet. We'll do what we want. <laughs> like, so I do have, I do have this one question that I ask every guest and I'm, I, I, I do want to ask you this question before we end. You bet. Um, and, and I'll, 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 I'll preface this by saying the the number one answer is fear. So you have to, you have to do better. Okay. <laughs> no pressure. Um, what do you think holds most people back from achieving real success and happiness in life? Pride. That's we, an, that, I've never had somebody say that. Okay, let's go with that. We don't want to embarrass ourselves. We don't want to look foolish. Uh, we don't want to have to make uh, admit mistakes. Mm. Um, we don't want to have to um, say, you know, I shoulda, I shoulda done it this way. Uh, we just, we, we all, we always want to look good, right? I mean, that's what social media is about. Too often, it's about looking good. It's like my life is wonderful. I, I eat the best lunch every day. Look, I've got a photo of it, right? <laughs> right. And. And, and so I think, in fact, this the opposite of pride is humility. And yeah. I, I believe that humility, um, being genuine, uh, honest with yourself and honest with others, is, um, is perhaps the greatest prescription for success. And so I'm, you know, I get caught up in pride sometime, sometimes. I want to be best. I want to be known as the best. Um, I'm very competitive by nature. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think that I think that people are attracted to humility and humility doesn't mean self-degradation. 
Right. You know, it doesn't mean that, oh, I'm not good enough to do this job or I'm I'm just a pretender. I'm an imposter. I shouldn't be here. It's not the old Stuart Smalley version. Right. Of Right. Uh, <laughs> that's not what that's not what humility is. It's a recognition that um, there is a greater, you know, there is there is a greater force out there than us. Uh, we have a role to play in this thing we call life. Uh, we do our best at it. We are prone for to make mistakes. I think that's what we're here for is to learn and then to be open and honest with people, be authentic with it, with them and say, you know what? That's a really good question. I don't know the answer. You know what? That's a really interesting problem you're facing. I don't have the solution today, but if you'll give me the time, if you'll allow me some space to go put my put my best thinking cap on with my team, I'm confident our experience um, is going to bring back a solution for you. I just need a little bit more time. And if you'll give us that time, we're going to knock your socks off with a solution that's going to get you where you want to go, get you the results you're looking for. Uh, so I think pride is the biggest deterrent to help wow. us get where we need to be. Absolutely. 100% agree with you. That was an amazing answer. Well, it, it comes because I've been a victim of pride. Yeah. I, I've, I've done it in my own life and I've, I've tried to learn from it. And I think we all have been there. You know, I, I love that, man. That's a great answer. Rob Cornelis. I'm saying your name right, right? Better than my, my wife does. So that's really appreciated. Thank you. <laughs> Rob, dude, you're awesome. Thank you for investing your time and being here today. You are, um, man. You're, you're well, thank you. No, thank you, Ken. Thank you for this uh, opportunity. And thank you for the questions that have come in. And for those who've already reached out to me on, on email or LinkedIn, I'll get back to you. I promise uh, I'll respond today and we'll start a conversation. And uh, Ken, I, I commend you for your really uh, commendable, admirable success. It's thank you. not many people can do what you do as consistently as you do it. And so the fact that you can continue to pump out good content that help the rest of us, yeah. uh, man, you're awesome. More power to you. And uh, so 2,500 episodes from now, I want to be you, Ken. I've only done 260 episodes okay. on here, man. So I've done over 20, sign, whatever. Anyway, thank you. I appreciate you saying that. Don't hang up on me, Rob. I'm going to end the live stream. I want to say thank you to everyone watching, everyone that shared this out. I really genuinely appreciate you. You go on my best friends list. If you didn't share it out, well, why? Just ask yourself why. <laughs> Have a great day, everybody. Thank you, Rob. I appreciate you. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Ken. All right. See you guys.